0: Our text this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, so please take a Bible and let's look at this passage together. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're probably only going to look at verses 5, 6, and 7 simply for the sake of time, but we'll see. Maybe we'll get all the way down to uh, verse 11. We're calling this uh, series that we're in Back to Basics, or devotional disciplines, devotional because it's through your love for Jesus Christ, your devotion to him that you're going to strive to develop these disciplines. And there are disciplines that all Christians should work at. There are disciplines that really only apply to, to married people and others that apply to single people and some that apply to young people and some that apply more to older, more mature people. But I'm trying to focus on things that all of us can embrace and say, yes, that's me. I need to do that. Now, in some cases, you may have already developed this discipline. Just let me encourage you. and Let me encourage you to encourage others that the, the disciplines that you have developed, God, is, is blessing. Today, we're going to look at something that's not really quite a, a discipline. I call it disciplines dynamo. Let's do a quick review, and then I'll tell you why I, I picked this topic and where we're going with this. The first lesson all the way back in September, the first discipline that I encourage you to develop if you haven't already developed it is this discipline of prayer and not praying and telling God what you want but cooperating with God and what he wants uh, as you pray, discerning what God's will is for yourself, discerning what God's will is for others and then praying according to God's will. The second one we talked about was meditation. Taking God's word and letting it saturate your soul By thinking on it constantly over and over and over and over. I'm guessing, by the way, meditation is not uncommon. We just don't call it meditation. I'm not talking about Eastern meditation. I I was in Mongolia where there's Buddhism and their type of meditation where you say the same phrase over and over and over as if it's going to make you more powerful or, or what have you. Meditation is simply thinking deeply about a particular topic. Some of you right now, you are thinking about today's NFL playoff games. And I shouldn't have even brought it up because some of you weren't thinking about it, but now you are. And you're going to be thinking about the players, the injury lists, um, you know, the coaches. And why? Because you spend a lot of time every week thinking all about, about, about football. That's a form of meditation. What I want you to do is intentionally choose to meditate on scripture. And uh, we talked about that. You can go back and, and listen to that message for more details. The third one was giving. Giving is a discipline. I don't give when I feel like it. I give because I'm responding to the Holy Spirit's command to me to give. So giving is a a discipline. We talked about responding to the Holy Spirit just in all of these disciplines. It's not just a list. We're not just making up a a checklist. And boy, you just make sure you check all these things off. In all of our lives, we are responding to the Holy Spirit. And particularly in these disciplines, responding to uh, the Holy Spirit. The next one we talked about was gratitude. Uh, having an attitude of thankfulness all the time. It's an intentional decision to be focused on what God has done for us and what God has given us and be grateful for it. We talked about the discipline of victorious Christian living. Christ- the Christian life is a struggle. It's always a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us. You might think, well, I know someone so he doesn't seem to struggle. Trust me, he struggles. But it's a victorious struggle. It's not one of constant defeat and, boy, I have to go into my day. No, it's one of excitement that regardless of your circumstances, whatever the flesh tries to tempt you with, however Satan might buffet you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That God's grace is sufficient for all things. So that was victorious Christian living. We talked last week about gospel sowing. And uh, yesterday we had a time of training. Thank you, those of you that came. It's important that all of us are looking for the opportunities God gives to us to tell other people the truth that Jesus saves. I love that song, Jesus Saves. It's really that simple. Now, obviously, they need to understand what Jesus saves them from, sin, and that Jesus paid the price when he died, that he rose again. I'm not saying you can just say Jesus saves and end there, but that's a great way to start a conversation. Do you know that Jesus saves? Saves from what? (laughs) Let me tell you, right? So we all should be looking for these opportunities to sow the gospel, But I'll tell you what I've noticed in my own life. And maybe you've noticed this in your own personal life as you've been working on these disciplines, as you've been intentionally saying, as you've been consciously thinking, I'm gonna do more of X this week. There's often two roads that you come to, at least I come to. One is you do these disciplines for a few weeks, few days, few weeks, maybe even a few months. But eventually you slip back into your old habits, your old way of doing things. I used to coach basketball And I don't know where most people learn to shoot a basketball, but 90% of the students, the uh, athletes that came to me at high school level to play basketball, they had no idea how to shoot a basketball correctly. Most of them were just sort of throwing it at the basket, literally. Sometimes you just take it from the side. and just. I was in small schools, and they probably played a little bit growing up, but most of them, they were just sort of tossing the ball up there more than shooting the ball. So one of the first things we do is we take a a practice, we take some time in one of the early practices to show them how to shoot a basketball correctly. And pretty soon, all of them, most of them, oh, okay, more than half of them, would be shooting the ball correctly, and that would last for the rest of that practice. Next practice, they'd come back, they'd be heaving it up there again. What happens? We fall back into our old habits. Have you noticed that? I had someone tell me this week, just being candid, you know, I don't make New Year's resolutions because most people don't keep them. I, I understand that. So that's one road that we often find ourselves going down. We, we, we do want to do what will please God. We do want to change from the inside out and, and develop these disciplines. We find ourselves back in the old habits. There's actually a more difficult road or a more dangerous road than, than that one, though. And that is we begin to do these habits as a ritual. And there really isn't anything to them. We just know we got to keep doing them because pastor preached on it and I got to do it. So you sit down to pray and you get your list out and you start saying, you know, God bless this person and 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 bless this person. bless person bless. Oh, and the missionaries and this guy and this guy, this lady sick and heal this person and heal this person and heal this person. Trust me, that's not what God intends for your prayer life to be like. Or it's gospel sowing, and nothing wrong with scheduling a time to sow the gospel. I I think you ought to do that. If you only come, only come to show up so that you're seen, you've missed the point. And that's also equally dangerous, that we just treat these as mere ritual. There's no relationship with God. There's no being driven by our love for Jesus Christ to do these things. It's just, we got to get them done. And they're both equally dangerous. And I'll tell you, the key, the key is God's grace. I need the grace of God. You need the grace of God to live these disciplines out, to to develop these habits in a way that they're actually profitable, that they actually glorify God and they don't just become ritual. They don't just become rote. According to the Bible, what is the single biggest obstacle, the single biggest roadblock to God's grace? Pride. Pride. It's right here in our text. Look with me first, excuse me, First Peter, yes. First Peter 5 and verse 5. Look at the end of the verse. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. If you have been a Christian a long time, and I know, Roy, I know I'm moving. Forgive me, but I, I, I have to share this with you because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of people I love, and it's, it's, it, it, it's wrong. What happens is we start on this path of developing some devotional disciplines. We start doing some habits of righteousness. We start making progress. And what happens when, we, when a man's ways please the Lord? He blesses them. And things go right, and things are good. And you know what we start to think? Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Whew, that guy over there, he's a loser. But I mean, and look at me. I'm a real Christian. Those people over there, they're, they're so lost and they're so undisciplined, they're, they're so evil, but me, Whew. God should be glad he has me on the team. Now, if God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, what happens when I take on that attitude? It shuts off the, the, the gates of God's grace. It shuts off that conduit of God's blessing to me and in order to keep up the same appearances, I changed the Christian life into a list of rituals. And I do the rituals and you don't, and that makes me a better Christian. God can't bless that. He can't. So humility is the dynamo that drives our disciplines. Now, some of you are not familiar with electricity, so let me tell you a little bit about dynamos and why I chose particularly this picture here Uh, some of you recognize this is Shasta Dam. Most of you have probably seen the lake, Shasta Lake, without necessarily recognizing this dam. But uh, I was born not far from Shasta Dam, and then later my parents we moved uh, to Oregon, and I wasn't far from Bonneville Dam. So I don't know, because of that, I've always been fascinated with this idea that you can back water up behind some sort of structure and use that gravity. I'm oversimplifying it. Those of you that know, Jesse, don't correct me. Okay. Those of you engineers know this isn't how it works, but you can use that gravity to produce electrical energy. It's amazing. Inside of these, not inside of the dams, inside of the structure here is the uh, powerhouse below the dam, powerhouse below the dam. You say that's a really small building. Well, you have to understand the dam is 600 feet high. So inside of this powerhouse right here, there are dynamos. There are circular structures. Francis turbines is what they are. And they spin really, really fast because the water's causing them to spin. And those spin turbines, electrical turbines, that create the electricity so that when you switch on the light switch in your house, the lights come on. When you plug in your smartphone, it gets charged. Those dynamos are the energy behind so much of what we do as Americans, on a, a physical level, the dynamo in your life for accomplishing these spiritual disciplines is God's grace. And when we get proud and we think, boy, I'm a good person and God better be glad he has me on his team. And Hey, I'm better than that guy over there. It shuts off that power. And we're faced with either pretending or with falling back into the wrong habits. Now, this text is only going to deal with one aspect of humility, and that is submission. Let me read the text uh, to you. Uh, follow along as I read out loud First Peter 5, verses 5 through 11. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Notice this phrase, "Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish. Strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning because I know my own heart. So quick to fall back into that pride, so quick to think it's me, that I've done a great thing. And we need your grace. So we need to humble ourselves. But you know our hearts are deceitful, and we always want to make excuses, we always want to take the credit. We always want to defer the blame. So I ask, Father, that you break through our stony hearts, break through my stony heart and remind us of the importance of humility and how we see uh, humility through our submission. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, again, this is only going to deal with one aspect of, of humility, and that is submission. If I can use this illustration, how many of you know what a tachometer is? tachometer okay good most of you are going to get this many of your cars uh when they still had analog dials there would be two dials in your car one is the speedometer and it tells you how fast you're going and the other dial often is numbered from one to six or seven although you're that never gets over to the six or seven unless you're jeff shake but most of us don't get over there to six or seven And it only runs up to two, three, four, maybe sometimes five if you're trying to merge on the freeway. And you've wondered, what is that showing you? Well, it's showing you the number of revolutions per second that your engine is running at. It's called a tachometer. And what you should do is keep that tachometer as low as possible. You're not trying to rev the engine out to the the red line, as they say. You will destroy your engine. But if you don't drive your car correctly and you have a manual transmission... Now, some of you don't even know what a manual transmission is. I get that. But If you don't, if you're in the wrong gear, you're going to burn up your engine running it too hot for the speed you're going at. And in my mind, this idea of submission helps us understand, you know, when I'm submitted to authority, my tachometer isn't over in the red. It's not over in the red. But when I am not submitted to authority, then somehow life is really, really, really hard. And you know what our flesh tells us? It's always the authority's fault. It's always the Lord's fault. And so we just keep it over in the red there, and we just say, well, I've got to keep going fast. I've got to keep serving the Lord. Now, when you find that your tachometer is way over on the red, you're frustrated with your, this aspect of submission. Let me encourage you to stop and pray and ask the Lord to show you what's in your heart. So submission becomes a really helpful way to understand where we are in this issue of humility. Now, there are three kinds of submission here in this text. The first is the obvious one, submission, To authority, it says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Submission to position, I've called it because I'm trying to alliterate here, but submission to authority, specifically in this text, younger people being submitted to older people. There are other texts that will show us that we ought to be submitted to other authorities like government officials. By the way, it's um, coming up on tax season. Do you know the one biblical command about taxes that I can find is pay them. I mean, it does. Pay Now, I don't know about you. That can be very frustrating. Especially when you start thinking of the ways the government spends our money and why... Listen. Listen. When you have the humble spirit, God can give you grace to do what He calls you to do. But if you find yourself constantly frustrated by that... Here's another um, position of authority, not mentioned here in the text, but that is referenced elsewhere, that many Christians struggle with, and that's traffic laws. No, I'm being serious. Traffic laws. You can either see them as a hindrance to getting where you want to go, or you can see them for what they are. Again, God gave us a government, and we can be grateful for the government God has given us, by the way. So position. Um, For those of you that are younger, you have parents. You live in your parents' home. Your parents make the rules. That can be a frustration to young people. Uh, I was a teacher. Students frustrated by the rules in the classroom. Uh, or frustrated by their teacher. Now, you know, those of you that have thought about this, you know it's never hard to be submitted to the person who is kind and benevolent and generous and caring. I, I, as a teacher, I learned just having those aspects went a long way towards helping my students be submitted in class. Okay. But what about the unreasonable boss? Right? The one that calls you angry because you refused to cover a shift that you weren't even assigned. I mean, you try to explain, well, I wasn't assigned that shift. Well, you should have been here anyway. And you're thinking, how? Right? It's that teacher. You come in and you've got all your homework done and he says, okay, let's turn in the assignment. And the assignment was, and you said, no, that's not what you said yesterday. I don't care what I said yesterday. That's what the assignment is today. You sort of scratch your head. What in the world? I don't understand when you get pulled over. Police officer says, do you know why he pulled you over? You say, no, I don't. Well, you should. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Now, my brothers always say, you should just tell the police officer you don't know why he pulled you over and let him tell you. You say, how do they know? They get pulled over a lot. (laughs) It's not not the caring, benevolent authorities that we have trouble trouble with. It's the ones that are irritating and unreasonable. That is the point of 1 Peter. Let's take a hop, skip, and a jump through this book. Turn back a few pages to the left. Find 1 Peter chapter 2. Because the whole point of this book is not to be submitted to the authorities you like. Not, no, don't worry about submitted to the authorities that like you. Yes, be submitted to those. But what do you do about the authorities you don't like? Here's first example. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. By the way, when this book is written, king probably refers to King Herod, Agrippa. Not a nice guy. Not a friend to Christians. He says, submit yourself to every ordinance of, the, of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king, as supreme, or as unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. Notice verse 15, though. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing... Well, doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You're going to keep doing right, he says. You're going to, even if they say you're not, even if you're accused falsely, even if they come up with a crazy rule, you're going to continue to do what's right before God and be submitted to that type of authority. Skip down to uh, chapter two, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. That's a hard one. We don't have slavery in our society and we can be glad for that. Slavery is wrong. But in this society there were slaves. If there was anybody that you would think would have a right to show to, to not show respect, to just treat their masters just as evilly as they could, it'd be slaves. But he says, Listen, slaves, I want you to be subject to your masters. Skip down to chapter three, verse one. First Peter three one says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Unless they're an idiot. No, I just added that. Frankly, a lot of husbands are idiots. Well, sometimes a wife will come to my wife and she'll say, you know, my husband is an idiot. What should I do? And we metaphorically, we say, listen, you need to duck so that God can hit him with a two-by-four. Seriously, I, you, know, you can't, wives, don't think you're going to change your husband by nagging him and, and telling him how evil he is and, and, and whining to everybody at church about your husband. That's not going to change your husband. You can read it for yourself, what he tells you to do there in chapter 3, verse 1. So here's my point. The the point of this book is not be subject to the people you like. The point of this book is be submitted even to the unreasonable and unjust authorities. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts this way, and and you'll have to read the whole chapter to understand, but chapter chapter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. In other words, expect suffering. Jesus suffered, expect suffering. Skip down to verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. He's saying, listen, as you're submitted to authority, you're still going to have problems. You're going to do everything right. You're going to be respectful. You're going to obey commands. And your authorities are still going to be unreasonable. Now, I ask you the question, now back to chapter 5, how do you maintain a proper attitude? And how do you maintain appropriate hope when you have an unreasonable authority? We're going to get to that. Before we do, let's look at the next one. He says, be submitted to your peers. Look with me, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be subject one to another. Be submitted one to another. If you hold your place in 1 Peter 5, turn with me to Ephesians chapter uh, 5 and verse 21. I want you to see a similar statement. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So what does it mean to be submitted one to another? What does it mean, yea, all of you be subject one to another? It means that we treat each other with mutual recognition. Let me ask this question. Are you willing to accept every Christian as an equal member of our church? That's what it means. Now, obviously, there's some, our minds immediately go here. There, You know, what about the person that's an irritant? Do they get to be an equal member of the church? I'm going to step away from the church analogy, a church example, to use another example that's much easier for me to, to for, much easier for me to talk about so you don't think I'm talking about you. Because none of you have ever lived in a dorm with me. But in dorm life, there's always the guy who doesn't shower. <laughs> Does he get to be an equal member of the church if he doesn't shower? There's always the guy in dorm life, at least at a Christian college, who wants to ask the crazy questions and expects you to give a biblical answer to an unbiblical question and then berate you when you don't know the answer to a question that isn't even in the Bible. Does he get to be an equal member of the church? See, when we're submitted one to another, we're humble enough to recognize that God can be at work in that person's heart just like he's at work in my heart. I'm not excusing evil behavior or wrong behavior. I'm just saying I don't get to decide who's a member of the church or not based on whether I like them, whether they irritate me or not. So there's mutual recognition. There's also mutual respect for the opinions of others, for their insights and their input. Just recently, I was trying to do some teaching, and somebody brought up something that didn't quite contradict what I said but I could have taken it that way. Don't tell this person. But in my flesh, I wanted to say, stop asking questions. Why? Because in my pride, I don't want to be shown to be wrong. But if I'm going to be subject one to another, if I'm going to submit one to another in the fear of God, I have to take his question or his comment or his, her question or her comment in, a, in a, you know, an understanding. They may be trying to help me. Now, they may be trying to trip me up, but they may be trying to help me. Mutual respect for the opinions of others. Husbands, how about your wife? Do you respect your wife's opinion? If, if my wife were to ask your wife, does your husband respect your opinion, what would your wife say if she were candid and frank? Because it's very easy for us husbands to think, my wife's half crazy. I don't have to listen to everything she says. No, you do, husbands. You should respect your wife's opinion. Now, my wife and I have sometimes very different opinions. We do. I'm grateful for that. It keeps me grounded. Just the time I think I know what's going on in my family's life, she says, you know, have you considered this? And you know what my flesh wants to do? Don't tell me. I'm the husband. That's what my flesh wants to say. The Spirit, though, that's not what the Spirit asked me to say. How my, The Spirit asked me to respond to my wife. There needs to be a mutual respect for the opinions and the input and the insights of others. There needs to be a mutual rejoicing in others' joys. It's a problem if something good happens at our church. If something good happens here and I have the attitude, why do they get all the good things? Why doesn't that ever happen to me? Let's imagine somebody's gifted with a a, a car I, I It hasn't happened while I've been here, but I've heard of other churches where someone just says, hey, you you need a car? I'm going to give it to you. Let's imagine somebody gives Billy, because Billy's sitting here in the front row. He's a big target. Someone says, Billy, here's a new car. If I think, why does Billy get a new car? I'm the one who needs a new car. I'm the pastor. I've got people at my house. He just lives with his mom. (laughs) Right? If that's my attitude, guess what? That isn't mutually submitting one to another. Because I think less of Billy. That's obvious from my statements. Nothing wrong with Billy. Where's the problem? The problem's with me. This is what we mean by submission to peers. Be, uh, uh, it says, be subject one to another. Yea, all of you be clothed with humility. It takes a humble heart. So where do we get that proper attitude and that appropriate hope if you're in the middle of a group of people and you're suffering unjustly? What if you are to church and everyone's picking on you? What if you're at work and you're the one that gets blamed for everything, even when it's not your fault? What if you're in a family and everyone always points to you when there's stuff on the floor? What do you do with that? How do you, how do you keep a proper attitude? How do you have um, a hope for change? Again, if you'll wait, I, I'm almost there. There's a third type of submission, and that's submission to providence. And, and I'm using uh, P for providence. But as you know, providence stands for God, God's work. Can you advance that slide? I'm not getting anywhere with this here. Submission to providence means that I am submitted to what God has for my life. Look with me at verse six Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. To humble myself under God's mighty hand simply means to respect, to recognize, to realize his sovereignty. His choices in my life. Let me give you some examples. God chooses our circumstances for us. I I don't believe that man can control the weather. So when it rains, guess whose choice that was? Now, Roger was teasing us last week, and I thought it was funny myself. You know, if you're praying for rain, you need to stop. That's what he told us last week. But God's the one, he's the only one that controls the weather. If, if it rains on your birthday and you were expecting to be outside for your birthday, don't blame your family. Don't blame me. Don't blame climate change. God's in control of the weather and he decided you needed rain on your birthday. God chooses our parents. If you're a young person here today, I know it can be hard. You, you, you are absolutely convinced your parents are just trying to make your life hard. I mean, you just they're, they're out to get you. Let me tell you, God chose your parents. And if it makes you feel any better, your parents didn't choose you either. <laughs> it wasn't like they went down to the store and said, yeah, that one, right? That one, that, I like that one. It's not like a puppy. God chose your parents. God chooses your children. God chooses your ethnicity. God chooses your culture. All of this is God's choices. So are we content with God's choices? Are we submitted to them? Understanding he's the one who made these choices. God chooses limitations for us, and this is where it really gets difficult. This is where it gets irritating and frustrating, and it can make us angry. We can fight against God because God chooses limitations for us. He chooses intellectual limitations. There are some things I just don't understand. I can look at a book. I can hear you explain it to me. I can watch a YouTube video, and at the end, I still have no idea what's going on. And there are times I say, Lord, can you just make me a little bit smarter? Guess, guess who chose those limitations for me? God chooses our physical limitations. There's some things you just can't do. As you grow older, you become more limited. And you can be angry at God about that, or you can accept that God chooses your physical limitations. He chooses your social limitations. You know, there are some people groups that I'll never be a part of. I'm just going to give you a, a sort of a silly illustration that just didn't bother me. But when we were in Mongolia, we were never going to be Mongolians. No matter how well we spoke the language, no matter how well we ate the food, we were never going to be Mongolians. And we could let that frustrate us, or we could just accept that God didn't put us there. It didn't have us born there. We, we just came into this. This is what God called us. And there are social limitations. Maybe there's some groups around you you wish you could be a part of, but they don't want to accept you. That could be God's social limitation on you. There's emotional limitations. There are certain events, certain circumstances that are hard for me to deal with emotionally. Sometimes I wish I could be like so-and-so. Nothing ever seems to bother them. They just sort of go through life. and Bad things happen, fine. Good things happen, fine. That's not me. See, these are limitations that God has chosen for me and to recognize, excuse me, to humble myself under God's mighty hand is to recognize that these are God's choices. And rather than fight against them, live within them joyfully, at peace, knowing that God has a plan for me. There's a second way that we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, and that's to realize our complete dependence on God. Now, it starts, by the way, with salvation. Nobody gets saved unless they humble themselves. Jesus himself said, unless you humble yourself as a little child, you cannot be converted. You can't become a Christian unless you're humble. But it goes beyond that. Uh, The whole point, and you come next week to Sunday school, 945, right here in this room. John's going to be teaching us about the Laodicean church. And you know what the Laodicean church's main problem was? They didn't think they needed God for anything. They, they said, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and have need of nothing. That's what they said. That's that attitude I was explaining to you earlier. We get going, we make some progress in these devotional disciplines, and God blesses us, and we see God's blessing, and then we start to think, yep, that's me. <laughs> Isn't God good to have me? No, 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 that's not, that's not the right attitude. It goes beyond salvation, our humility, our our complete dependence upon God. Every day I need God. Now, some days I realize it more than others, but every day I need God. There are some people in our Bible who recognize their complete dependence upon God, who humbled themselves under God's mighty hand and were greatly rewarded. And there were some who weren't. And I had several stories, but let me just tell you two very quickly. The one that, uh, 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 the good example is David. David is anointed king. You remember Samuel, the prophet, he comes, he looks at all the other brothers, seven of them, and nope, God doesn't want any of these. Don't you have any more sons? Yeah, there's the shepherd out there. He comes in, he gets anointed, and then everything goes great for David, doesn't it? No, no. Now Saul's angry. Saul's the king. You, you mean you're anointed David? Whoa, what's this? And for more than 10 years, best we can tell from the Bible record, for more than 10 years, David is on the run for his life. Why? Because God chose him as king. Did David go to Saul and say, Hey, Saul, you know what? I'm going to be the next king. David didn't make that choice. Who made that choice? God made that choice. So, as soon as Saul comes into the cave where David and his men are hiding, Saul's men are outside the cave. Saul's all by himself inside the cave. And one of David's men even says, Listen, here's your chance. You kill this guy. You get to be king. You don't have to run anymore. We don't have to be on the road constantly. Come on, just just knock this guy off. And what does David say? No, I I can't touch God's anointed. David's saying there, I'm going to wait until God takes Saul out of the picture. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. He could have. David could have. He said, no, I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to let him make these choices for me. Now, there were many choices David made, good choices David made. But in that case, he says, I'm not going to make this choice. I'm going to let God make this choice. That's why sometimes you wives, you come to my wife and you say, what do I do about my husband? And we say, listen, you just need a duck because your husband's about to get hit by a two by four. And I'll go talk to the husband and tell him a two by four is coming. But if he doesn't want to change, if he wants to continue to treat you poorly, you can be sure that God will judge but you have to wait on the Lord. You have to humble yourself under his mighty hand. Now, here's someone who didn't wait for God to judge, and that was Joab. Joab was David's right-hand man, his chief general. And you remember when Abner finally decided to switch sides. He had been He had been beside Saul's son, ruling on one side of the Jordan. He finally came over to David. He said, listen, David, you you should just be ruling the whole kingdom. I'm going to make sure that you're ruling the whole kingdom. And what did Joab do to Abner? He killed him. He said to David, you let him go? You mean he was right here in your palace and you let him go? I have something to do. You, You read the scripture. That's what happens. Joab goes out. He finds Abner. He kills him. Because he wasn't willing to wait on the Lord. When it comes to being submitted to God's mighty hand, there are some choices that only God can make for you. Now, I asked you before, how do you maintain a proper attitude? How do you have hope when submitting to authority is hard or submitting to your peers is hard or submitting to God is hard? How how do you keep doing that? The answer's right here in our text. The first one is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. When we realize who we are before God, I mean, before God, we're just a created being. And yet, what does God do? He welcomes us as his daughters and as his sons. Do we see that for the great honor that it is? You say, yeah, but my spouse, my pastor, my teacher, my government, my... Police department, whatever your frustration is, then you're missing the point. You're thinking of yourself as as Romans terms it more highly than you ought to think. But there's a second answer, and I'm just rushing through these because of the time. Not only number one, humility, but second grace. God's grace is what enables me to treat others as God treats them. Does God put up with the wicked? He does. He's long suffering. Does God have patience with sinners? He does. He's long-suffering. He has patience with me. I'm, I'm sure glad for that. Humility enables us, excuse me, grace enables us, God's grace enables us to treat others as God treats them. I had much more to say about that, but I don't have time. Go to the third one, and that is in verse 7, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I don't know how many times it happens to me. I have to go to God and I have to say, God, this is troubling me. This isn't fair. This isn't reasonable. This doesn't seem right to me. I'm being treated unfairly or somebody isn't listening. or Whatever your excuse, excuse me, whatever your complaint is, whatever your complaint is, guess who you can tell about that? You can tell God. Wives, you have an unreasonable husband, talk to God about it. Husbands, you have a crazy wife, talk to God about it. You think your pastor is wrong? Talk to God about it. You think your boss at work is just totally unjust? Talk to God about it. We can cast all of our care on him and know that he cares for us. He isn't just going to take our requests and say, yep, can you file this one? No, no, no. He's he's going to take it as if it's the only request he has because God is infinite. And no no matter how many people come to him or how many requests you have, his grace is sufficient for all things. But I want you to watch out because in those times of testing, in those times of pressure, whether it's from authority, whether it's from peers, or whether it's even in the choices that God makes for you, in those times of testing, we have an adversary, the devil. And he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he whispers into your ear, God isn't being fair to you. You can't trust him this time. Look, look how you're being treated. If God really loved you, he wouldn't allow this. Don't listen to that. That's the devil talking to you. It says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. God truly, truly cares about you. So let me ask you as I get to the challenges this morning and so much more to say, maybe we'll continue this message next week. First challenge, is there an authority that you're chafing under, someone God has placed in your life as your authority, that he's put them above you, and, and frankly, you're having a real hard time dealing with them. And it's, I know you think it's their fault. I know you do. I, I know. But would you ask God for the humility and the grace to respond correctly? Think of Joseph. He does right by running away from his opportunity with the master's wife. And what does he get for that? He gets thrown in jail, gets thrown in prison. Wouldn't have been easy for Joseph to say, see, that's what I get for serving God. That's what I get for doing right. Forget this. But he didn't. (laughs) Even in prison, he's looking for an opportunity to minister to other people. And as he's ministering to other people, he comes across these two guys with a dream. And we don't have time to tell the story, but the challenge is, are you chafing under an unjust authority? Can you give that to God? Can you ask him for help to respond correctly? Or maybe it is there's a peer in your life, someone here at this church or someone at your workplace. Maybe it's a neighbor and, and they're, just, they're just crazy and they're making you mad, they're irritating you, they make life hard for you. Let me offer that maybe God's put that person there to teach you humility. And rather than see them as the problem, they are a problem, by the way, but rather than see them as the problem, why don't you ask God what work he can do in your heart and in your life? Through that person. Here's the final challenge. Are you allowing God to make choices for you? Or are you upset about the parents he gave you or what time in history you were born in or the job he's put you in or whatever it is? It's a choice that God made for you. And rather than say, this is from God's good hand, you're thinking, if God really loved me, he wouldn't do this. Trust me, he cares for you. You can tell him about it. Yes, you can bring him your complaints. He cares for you. Father, thank you for the uh, opportunity to look at this passage again. And so much here, so many problems that I have, so many problems that I've had also. And as I just humble myself under your mighty hand, and I cast my care upon you, and I take your grace, you have, every time your grace has been sufficient, every time you have come through, and you've made me a little bit more like Jesus Christ to your honor and to your glory. And I thank you for your grace that is available to any Christian here this morning. More power than we would know what to do with. Riches beyond our imagination. Father, give us a glimpse of what you're doing in our lives through the unjust authorities, the unjust people. And even if your choices for us seem unreasonable, teach us through them. May we humble ourselves under your mighty hand and allow you to make the decisions for us that we cannot make for ourselves. Lord, we love you. I'm convinced, and I know most of us here are convinced, that you truly, truly care for us. Thank you. Convince the others that your grace is sufficient, that you do care for them, that any choice you make in their life is is not to irritate them, it's to conform them to the image of your Son. Lord, we love you. Teach us to wait on you. Teach us to trust you. We pray these things. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.